In Deuteronomy 14, this is uh, a sermon, like I said, on eating. Uh, It's in some ways on food in general. Uh, That will become more apparent to you as we work through the sermon, but focus uh, as we read through these texts and submit to what the Lord says uh, about uh, food, eating, and uh, the body, and thanksgiving, and all those things. So, Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 to 29, You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year, and you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide. The tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money, take the money in your hand, and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires, You shall eat there before the Lord your God. You shall rejoice, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. Amen. Then our second reading is 1 Timothy 4. Our sermon will primarily come from this text. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 11. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in, <clears throat> excuse me, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, for to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Amen. And then a reading from the gospel. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not lament. For John, the Baptist, came neither eating nor drinking. They say he has a demon. 
the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus, came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. The Lord cares how you eat and what you eat. He cares that you eat with a right heart, and he cares that you eat what he has provided. This is easily proven from Scripture. Children, one of the stories that you know best in the Bible, the very first story where a man and a woman are featured, the very first sin had to do with what? Eating. Adam and Eve were free to eat from all but one tree. They took their eating into their own hands. The fruit of their eating was the fall of humanity into sin. In the temple, many sacrifices involved eating, eating in God's presence. Our Deuteronomy reading shows how God brings us to eat in his presence, even at times with choice delights. In the Gospels, the Lord Jesus fed thousands with what he had been provided. Remember the story where he feeds the 5,000 on one occasion, he feeds the 4,000 on another with what he had been provided. At the end of the Gospels, he gave us the sacrament of his body and blood to which he says, take and eat and take and drink. At the very end of the Bible, there is a supper with the valiant, victorious King of Kings, a supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It seems safe to say that the Lord cares about eating. He cares how you do it, and He cares what you consume when you do it. Our larger catechism on the Sixth Commandment says that the Sixth Commandment, which is, we heard it earlier, thou shalt not kill, it requires a sober or a controlled use of meat, or food in general, and drink. The sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, or some of you say you shall not murder, requires a sober use of food and drink. What does it forbid? It forbids an immoderate or a gluttonous use of food and drink, because eating pertains to life. Therefore, it's related to the sixth commandment. You affect your life positively or negatively with how you eat and with what you eat. And as you age, this becomes more and more apparent. Scripture commands you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Philippians 3.19 says their end, those who opposed Paul and his ministry, their end is destruction, their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. Proverbs 23 verse 2, put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Deuteronomy 21 20, they shall say to the elders of his city, the parents were to take the elders or take to the elders a stubborn and rebellious child, but listen what they say about this stubborn and rebellious child. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. 
God evidently cares how much we eat as well, but that's not the overarching point of this sermon. 1 Corinthians 10.31, one of the first verses we memorize when we're memorizing Scripture. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Quite frankly, we tend to take that verse about everything but eating and drinking when those are directly addressed in the verse. We heard in Matthew 11, the Lord Jesus is called a glutton and a drunkard, someone who eats too much, someone who drinks too much. Proverbs 28, 27. The one who keeps the law is a son of understanding, but a companion, a friend of gluttons, shames his father. You see, the enemies of all righteousness, those who hate the truth and hate God and hate his church, they understand how important food and eating are. Who isn't alarmed by foreign nations buying our land and controlling what we eat and produce? There is a joy and a glory in growing our own food, walking to the garden to pick that tomato for a salad or a sandwich. I recommend the latter. Or the knowledge of knowing where that delicious hunk of beef came from. We know an attachment to our land because our land is part of what makes us who we are. Our fathers lived here. Our children will hopefully live here. This is bound up with food, living, eating, drinking, all those things. In John Steinbeck's book, The Grapes of Wrath, He says this, It's a funny thing how it is. If a man owns a little property, that property is him. It's part of him, and it's like him. If he owns the property only so he can walk on it and handle it and be sad when it isn't doing well and feel fine when the rain falls on it, that property is him, and some way he's bigger because he owns it. Even if he isn't successful, He is big with his property. You see, the Lord intends from the beginning of creation that his image bearers would. Remember this initial command to Adam and Eve, the positive command. Be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth, the land, and subdue it. Put it under your control. Have dominion over the fish of the sea because they're dangerous and you'll probably eat them. Over the fowl of the air, you're going to eat them too. And over every living thing that moves upon the ground. God has provided the earth to bless us and us, by implication, to bless it. Therefore, he cares how we eat and he cares what we eat. In the days of the early church, they were continuing daily with one accord and breaking bread from house to house, eating their meat, their food, with gladness and singleness of heart. Now this truth about food and land and all that is even more present to us in this season where we've just celebrated Thanksgiving. I would urge you not to mess up or not to try to be cute and call it Turkey Day, lest you strip it of its Godward focus. 
We are always to be a thankful people, for we are the Lord's people. But how much more so on a day that is called Thanksgiving? How do we celebrate Thanksgiving? By eating. We eat in our celebration of most things because there is a joy in eating. And because this and so much more is true, it is absolutely pivotal that we get eating right. We must see that God cares how we eat and he cares what we eat. In our epistle reading, where I told you the, the sermon would primarily come from, in 1 Timothy 4, we are warned about those who will tell us to refrain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. I hope you caught that. God is telling us how to eat. We heard it as we read through the text. I want to draw attention to three things. We are to eat as receivers. We are to eat with thanksgiving. And we are to eat as believers and knowers of the truth. All of those are obvious from the text. All three of those have to do with how we are to eat because God cares how we eat. Let's take them each for just a moment. The first way, the first how is as a receiver. If you're a receiver, that means that there is a giver. And who is that giver? That giver is God. Now, children, let me speak to you for just a moment. This is a tremendous lesson for you because there are very few things more stressful in a child's life than eating. It's true. If you've parented, you know this, how stressful it can be, how hard it can be in training your child to eat. When your parents make you a meal, you have to know, you must know, children, that they are working for God. They are, to use kind of low-key language, your parents are chefs in the kitchen of God to prepare food for you. Parents participate in the giving of God to their children, but they are receivers from Him as well, just like their children. Parents get to play two parts. This should affect the way that you train your children as future spouses as well. As they are young, they are simply receivers. But as they age, they begin to participate in sharing with God and being givers. Show them the joy of preparing food and working with God in that way. It is so sad to hear and see how many young women often despise this role that God has task them with. Husbands can and should help. Amen. But anyone worth their salt, anyone worth their salt knows that mamas do the cooking, even if daddy helps sometimes. Mamas do the cooking. Would it change your perspective if you thought of it as working with God to graciously give what he has provided. I believe it would. The kitchen is a place of working with God to provide what he has provided himself to you. Now back to receiving for just a moment before moving to our second point. In Psalm 104, 
another Thanksgiving-related psalm, we're told that the Lord causes the grass to grow for the cattle and herbs for the service of man, that he might bring forth food out of the earth, wine to make glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. God gives food to man and to beast. Children, one of the most powerful images in the Psalms is talking about how the animals look to heaven, to God for food. He provides food out of the earth for man as well. He provides wine for the gladness of heart, oil for our faces, bread for the strength of our hearts. Sit at the table in your home with this understanding. God has given you what you have before you. It is for you from him, so receive it. But also, receive it with thanksgiving. Again, dear children, don't be grumpy about the food that is given to you. Be thankful. Notice it doesn't say, like it. It just says, be thankful. Put plainly, it is sinful if you aren't thankful. You sin against your parents and you sin against God. Now, unfortunately, we have a lot of grown babies in the world. And this goes for you adults, too, who are too picky with regard to food. Sometimes the Lord provides you with things that simply aren't your favorite. Eat it with thanksgiving or be in sin. You make the choice. Would you question the all-wise giver of good? We must teach our children to be thankful for the gifts that God has provided for us. For as we see in our age, one of the most deadly sins that is leading people to more and more unrighteousness and ultimately to hell is ingratitude. We don't know how to be thankful. And we think it's okay if our children are unthankful. Just give them what they want. Thanksgiving is a holiday, yes, but it's also a way of living. We proclaimed in our Psalter reading this morning that it is a joyful and pleasant thing to be thankful. It's true, isn't it? We also said and therefore must believe that we are to sing with thanksgiving. That can really change the worship of a church. It can change the worship in a home when you're gathered around the family hearth to read the Bible, to pray, to sing, and to instruct. Because who likes family worship done as a chore? Friends, sing, live with thanksgiving, gratitude, joy. Who likes a meal that is taken with grumbling? Nobody. You don't like eating it. You don't like sharing it with people who act like that. You don't want to be part of such an event. Consider, if you are repulsed by it, that it's right to be repulsed by it. And if you are repulsed by it, how much more so the Lord? It is not okay for us to be brats about food. And that feeling that we have when we see someone else do that is imitation of God. Because we are to be thankful for what He has provided The third way of eating is as believers and knowers of the truth. We've looked at uh, eating as receivers, eating with thanksgiving. Now, 
eating as believers and knowers of the truth because, let's be honest, eating means more for Christians. It is all that I've said it to be and more. It is practice for that final marriage supper of the Lamb. It is dining with the Heavenly Father's provision. In Psalm 128, there is a profound uh, picture that is given that relates to this topic. One of my favorite psalms. There we are told what a God-fearing family looks like. I'd encourage you to read it this afternoon. The father fears the Lord and walks in his ways, by implication the mother as well. But the father fears the Lord and walks in his ways. He eats the labors of his hands in happiness, the labors of his hands, doing what Adam was given to do. His wife is a fruitful vine, decorating the house in her fruitfulness. His children are little olive plants around the table. What do you do at a table? I hope you don't think that eating together as a family at the table is unimportant because it literally recreates Psalm 128. You know, a lot of these statistical studies that are done that uh, Christians look into uh, about... um, Things like why the, the next gener- or why the previous generation left the church and how we can reverse that trend and those kind of things. Did you know that in these studies that have recently been done, and you can look these up online, that one of the chief contributing factors to children remaining in the church from generation to generation is eating food together as a family. That sounds like insane, doesn't it? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it's Psalm 128. It has a whole lot to do with everything. That man is blessed, says the psalmist, and he fears the Lord. He receives blessing from the church. The church is blessed because of him. And he has promised to see his children's children And peace upon the people of God. That's all in Psalm 128. Believers and knowers of the truth believe and know these things even as they eat. And in doing so, they eat as the Lord intends. Now finally, as I promised, the Lord cares what you eat. A final uh, or a qualification to start. The truth that God cares what you eat can actually lead you to violate the very things that I've just laid out. All right? This is to say, don't become so overly scrupulous that you won't receive what is provided for you. Children, you don't need to shake your fist at mommy because something isn't as healthy as Pastor Trent said it ought to be. Right? That's not the point, right? That being said, this mainly applies to those that do the providing. First point, Paul tells us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the accent is there in the text. You see it and heard it as we read it. Every creature of God is good. That word for creature is simply creation, meaning there are probably things that are created in some sense. There are things in the world that are not created by God. He's sovereign over all things, yes. But everything that God has made is good. 
Nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Notice, every creature or creation of God is good. That is to say, if God made it, it's good. If God didn't make it, it isn't good. If it isn't made by God, then it isn't good. Therefore, you shouldn't provide it and you shouldn't eat it. Now, why does this relate to food? Because there are food that, there's food that's fake. It's not food. It makes you feel terrible. It makes you look terrible. We know it's bad for us, but we don't care because it tastes good. Foods that are made in labs are not good. God didn't make it. I say this to you because I love you. Just to take a step back for a moment. Look at the difference in the size and appearance of people from years ago compared to now. Obesity rates are through the roof. This is not a coincidence. People haven't changed. Our bodies haven't changed. The food has. Who controls our food? Why do you think those things that are better for you are normally more expensive at the store than the things that are bad for you? They want you to buy what's bad for you. And what's bad for you is normally not from God. It's from a lab. You might think I have my tin hat on this morning, but it's true. It is absolutely true. It is no coincidence as well that those who have the least money are not negatively affected in the waistline by their financial condition. All they can afford is crap food. And it makes you sick and unhealthy. I think you know this intuitively more than you might let on. When you sit down to pray over your food and you look at it, can you utter the words, Thank you, Lord, and bless this to my body with a clear conscience? That's a good question to ask. Now, as I said a moment ago, conscience is involved in this. I bring up conscience here again. However, conscience cannot overthrow the clear commands of God. Romans 14, 6 says, He that eats, eat to the Lord, eats to the Lord, because he gives thanks. He that doesn't eat, doesn't eat to the Lord, and he gives thanks nonetheless. True. If you can receive it with thanksgiving as if it's from God, then go your way in peace. But if you can't, you ought to make the changes because the Lord cares what you eat. He has even provided his word and prayer to you to sanctify what he's given you. We are to think of our food this way because the Lord says so. Those who say otherwise are doing what Paul says. They're giving heed to deceiving spirits Doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy because their own consciences have been seared with a hot iron. If one of the reasons that God has given us his word and prayer is to sanctify the food that he provides for us, then we need to not only think about the sixth commandment, we need to think about the third commandment. Because the third commandment is not taking the Lord's name in vain. Our catechism teaches, rightly so, that this relates to holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works. Right. So when the, the third commandment says not to take the Lord's name in vain, 
The Lord's name is not just saying uh, God's name with cuss words around it, though that is certainly a violation of it. It's anything that God attaches his name to, including his word. So by implication, since we use his word to sanctify our food, we are to recite scripture, or at least we remember scripture when we ask his blessing on our food, and we should be careful. Because we can profane and abuse God's name when we misuse his word and prayer over our food. So I urge you to be careful. The Lord cares how you eat, and he cares what you eat. Three lessons from the life of the Lord Jesus, and then we're done. When the Lord Jesus received five loaves and two fish, the Gospels tell us he looked up to heaven and blessed He thanked the Lord. We should do the same thing with our own food, knowing that it comes to us from our Father in heaven. Second, Christ says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And he also says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. Therefore, earthly food is not the ultimate food, but it is meant to teach us of the heavenly food. Jesus Christ is the bread of heaven come for the life of the world. When you eat your earthly food, it sustains your body that you may live for the Lord and by his word. So that your food, in the sense that Christ says, can be to do the will of the Father as well. And the Lord Jesus, at the Last Supper, he took bread and he blessed, just like he did when he split those five loaves and two fish. He took the cup and he gave thanks. Friends, that meal is the meal of meals. The Lord's Supper is the Supper. We won't eat it in heaven, for we will hunger no more, but we do receive it now from heaven. Christ the Lord gives us himself in earthly elements of bread and wine to reach our souls. Plain food, easily attainable food, bread and wine, is a tool of God to sustain the souls of his children. He reaches to the souls of his people with food. And in imitation of Christ, we too, on this next Lord's Day, the first Sunday of Advent, will take and eat, we will take and drink heavenly food, provided by the Father in the Son, sanctified by His Word and prayer. And Lord willing, we will receive it with thanksgiving as well. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord in heaven, we bless Your holy name.